Hola, mi nombre es Javier. And my name is Nigel. The title of this podcast is Dios tiene la última palabra. podcast about ordinary people who make up the church. To find out more or share your story, head to ordinarypodcast.com. Hello, uh, my name is uh, Javier. Um, I'm, uh, we're going to be talking about Venezuela a bit. Um, I was born in Venezuela myself. I've uh, been here in Northern Ireland for nearly nine years. Um, I Work full time for uh, Dropping Ministries. I'm married to kids, married to a local girl. And uh, excellent. My name is Nigel Burrows from Ungannon. Um, I had the opportunity in 2002 to go full time as a missionary uh, into Venezuela and spent 12 years of my life uh, there. Uh, most of them years would have been representing Dropping um, as a uh, a humanitarian worker, as we spend a lot of our time working in various slums across the the city of Barquisimeto, where where Javier is uh, is also from. Uh, but uh, Javier was telling me earlier about how life was in in Venezuela whenever he was growing up, compared to maybe how it is today. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> I um, I met Nigel actually, in my city, whenever he was working over there with Dropping. Um, first of all, I think we met whenever I was part of Y1. And uh, we started to do uh, some evangelism work over there. And then I went to uh, help in the program that the ministry has over there. And uh, it was an amazing experience. And it was, it was very good just having given teams from different parts of the world and just connecting with the people as well in those different uh, areas in the city and uh, especially in areas we, we, we used to work in areas where um, uh, you could see very extreme poverty but as Nigel said um, when I was still there uh, things were not as they are now Obviously, there was always, there's always been uh, poverty in Venezuela. That's something that we cannot deny. But um, you compare that to what it is now, it's, it's, it's incredible just to, to see how in such a short period of time, well, 10 years, like it's, it's, it's been such a, a change, a drastic change in the, in the economic uh, situation, politically, socially, and in many, many other ways, like it's, it's, it's actually <clears throat> shocking just to see in the TV. And I actually had uh, the opportunity to, to, to be back home uh, in the year of 2016. And uh, even at that time, I just could not believe that I was in the same country that I left because of the situation, the lack of so many things, basic products and and medicines. It wasn't as bad as it is now, but uh, I started to see that something was going really bad. Um, and uh, yeah, it was very shocking to, to be there. It was good to see people, but uh, it was hard to see your own family even 
struggling and uh, how uh, even people who even were part of the middle class were still struggling as well like so it was something that was affecting every single person no matter what social class they were in so it was i i could realize wow this is this is really something critical here and uh, it's I also realize that it's it's different whenever you see uh, something going on through the news or the TV. Whenever you're there, it's wow! It just it's really shocking. So uh, yeah, it was a really sad time just to be there. Happy time to see family, friends, but sad time just to see how the country has been been destroyed, basically. Yeah, I know that initially I would have. Had an experience in Venezuela. It would have been with Youth with a Mission originally in 2002. Uh, coming from a first world nation like Northern Ireland. Two years saved. And to go to somewhere that I would consider second world developing nation. Um, to see, for example, poverty for the first time. Not just to see an image on television. But the experience that the people really did live in tin shacks. People really did live on rice and black beans every day. So I think from the perspective of a Christian, you could see an opportunity maybe to bridge a gap between the needs of Venezuela and the wealth of our our own part of the world. Um, we had been involved in different uh, evangelistic type of campaigns and different works throughout uh, the city. That's how it connected with Javier, Javier was part of the ministry probably for three or four years before he came to Northern Ireland uh, full time. But you saw that poverty for the first time. You saw also what seemed to work hand in hand with that was the hunger of the people for the word of God. As a younger Christian, probably 1999, 2000, to actually live in Northern Ireland and I remember as a young Christian standing on Newcastle Main Street giving out Christian literature and honestly and truthfully the majority of the people were just throwing the literature on the ground or straight into the, the rubbish bin. So to go to Venezuela was a very, very different place um, where people would come to you and ask you, what are you doing here? And, you know, what, what why did you come? And uh, why are you giving out these leaflets? And can I have some of these for my grandmother? Or can I do this? Can you pray for me? And as as a young enthusiastic Christian, that was very very attractive to be in that place of people having a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God. Yeah. Um, politically, I knew that uh, a relatively new political party had been brought into power in nineteen ninety nine, and I guess at that time they would have been able to support their social projects and their 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 socialist revolution of the 21st century, as they called it, uh, they were able to do that because of the nationalised oil industry. Uh, Venezuela does have the largest oil reserves in the world of some 300 billion barrels of oil under their feet. So um, the government got into power and their idea was that they would help the poor person uh, literacy rates were very, very high before they took over power. Obviously, a lot of poverty throughout the nation. 
and the government i believe started with good intentions because you know people speak to me about venezuela at different times and there's a truth regardless of what people might think about the the, the pattern that they were following, which was a Cuban pattern at that time, is common knowledge. But they had fourteen or 15,000 Cuban doctors that were employed in Venezuela. They, they would pay them, can you imagine, they would pay them with a, with, a, with $100 cash, and they also would pay Cuba with oil. So it was good for Cuba, and also it was good for Venezuela as well. So you would go to, you know, the, the main uh, public hospital in the city centre, and... Obviously, it would be a lot busier if they didn't have the hundreds of Cuban doctors uh, scattered throughout the different clinics and the different slums <clears throat> right throughout Venezuela. So you could see the good of that side of what the government wanted to do and maybe a genuine heart to help their own people. But I have to admit what I also saw was, and I think it's a pattern that maybe runs a thread that runs throughout different oil-rich nations that. With great wealth comes great responsibility and also comes a great deal of corruption. So I uh, could see a government getting very, very rich off the back of this as well. At one time, I think Chavez said, if that uh, that's the, the president that died a number of years ago, uh, he had said that if they can maintain the oil at $60 a barrel, they can, they can maintain their revolution. What I mean by that is that they're subsidized food into the slums. The, the people become very, very dependent on subsidized food. Maybe a bag of rice that cost a pound, it was subsidized to the people for 5p or 10p, so the food was accessible. The government made it readily available originally to the people, and the people become very, very dependent on that, very, very dependent on what the government was giving to them. So we had, uh, maybe I'm not sure, seven or eight years ago, the, the price of oil was at $140. A barrel, so that was really good news for uh, the revolution. I think just statistically, ninety-five percent of their GDP was made up by oil revenue. So you can imagine what happened then, probably three or four years ago, whenever the price of oil fell so low that they could not maintain their social prob or their social programs. Um, as Javier would tell you, um, to come to this part of the world and pay what we pay for gasoline. Uh, I spent 12 years in Venezuela, and I never paid any more than two pence to fill my vehicle with gasoline or with petrol, you know, because even the, the gasoline was subs subsidized. Yeah. Um, probably a lot of people in the slums wouldn't understand that it cost them about 12% of their GDP to actually do that every year, but they didn't care as, they, as long as they were able to fill their cars. Um, at, uh, at such a very, very economic uh, price. So obviously then, with your imports, 95% of what you consume is imported from outside the country. So the government can't do that if they don't have the dollars from the oil revenue to pay for that food. So this is really what happened in more recent times whenever the price of oil dropped. dropped yeah. <clears throat> it created a crisis where most of, I think over 100,000 businesses and factories were actually taken by the government itself for the revolution. And a lot of them, government, you, you know, Javier, the, the, you can't get cement in Venezuela, the steel, communications, the oil, the list goes on and on and on of the things that the government yeah. took and actually destroyed during that time. 
And it's not to say that I have an opinion either way because it's not my nation. I, I, I've seen how the people, um, I guess, ha, ha, have suffered and that's where I as a Christian would would have a strong view that, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like this in a nation that once was the crown of South America, you know, one of the richest nations in Latin America, to go from what it was to what it is today is is very sad. But Javier, you would have a lot of friends that have gone to different nations to find work, isn't that? Yes, right? yes. Uh, but just uh, touching again about the oil uh, problem, as Nigel said, uh, Chavez, in, in many occasions, he said, yeah, if we can keep the barrel of $70 or $60, we can keep the revolution going, but what he what they did started to create more social um, programs, and the, that um, started to uh, create more responsibilities. And then when the oil prices dropped, they didn't know what to do because everything was collapsing. But also all all that problem joined with also with the corruption that it was rampant in the country. In every single area of the of the power, like in the judicial power and the police and and the government itself, and and you could see people, you know, driving the the latest cars and and also that that was a, a really uh, big problem for for the government. They didn't know what to do. Everything was starting to collapse, and then obviously all the companies that they started to nationalize and. That was not, I would say that that was not the main problem, but the, 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 the big problem was that the, as long as you supported the government, whether you had an experience in a certain area, you were in charge of a company that they took over. And the, even if you didn't have an experience, for example, they took the, the telephone company, the main, and then nationalized the, that company. And then they put people there that didn't have a clue how to run a, a telephone company so that happened also with the oil company as well they 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 put oil, all the people who were working and they were experienced in the in the area but they just took them out put their own people who were loyal to the government and they didn't have a clue how to run so that obviously that created a chaos as well because the production went down as well so not only that they Oil prices were down, but the production went out. They were able to produce three million barrels a, a day. Now they are in a million, and they they reckon that by the end of this year they're probably gonna be uh, producing like half a million a day. So that's gonna that's gonna create a a, a big even more chaos now. So, uh, but yeah, as Nigel was saying, there were so many people now that even from my own family who are all scatter all over in latin america and even europe because you know many people saw that the only solution was to leave the country and uh, i've seen many cases of people that i know who had to leave their own families their own children and wives to go to peru ecuador all the neighboring countries just to, to be able to work in whatever to be able to send money back to, to venezuela because the situation was getting so bad and bad and obviously, um, because of the, the control that they have in the foreign currency, the medical field also started to get affected. And then the medicine problem started. And now people were uh, struggling to get 
basic medicine. Like, for example, paracetamol was something that basic. Mm-hmm. That's right. Was was so <clears throat> difficult to find in the in the pharmacies, and even to, today, it's, it's hard to, to get painkillers sometimes. And uh, never mind people who are struggling with you know kidney problems or um, you know blood pressure or cancer things like that. People have to go to Colombia, cross the border, and then get medicine over there and travel back again. So there's people, for example, that live in the east side of the of the country and they have to travel like 15 16 hours to get to the border and to be able to cross then get some medicine and go back again so uh, it is it is tragic what's going on and uh, just to, to give you an idea of how difficult is the day to day for example let's suppose you go to the supermarket and you just earn a minimum wage and then you just get two items and that will be half your of your minimum wage gone so can see the inflation it's just hyperinflation as they call it because it's something that is out of control now and the the economy is, is, is at some point that it doesn't make any sense but you can see people that are even starting to um rent uh premises or whatever houses in dollars so how is something that <laughs> the government is the one in control of the dollars but still all the prices are, you know, um, as if it was doll, uh, dollar price. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's so hard for people. They've, um, I think maybe... Two years ago, that they cut off five zeros off their notes, off their of their monetary notes. Yeah. Um. Two thousand and eight, they took another three off. I mean, almost like Zimbabwe, because the the, the value of their money decreases that much. I mean, it's devalued. I mean, every day, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's very very difficult to 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 to, to keep tabs on that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, for. The people themselves, um, although the drop-in ministries, I would have left uh, in March of 2015, and our ministry base is there, and we've established uh, people on the ground. We are supporting work into slums. We feed children in different places. We've got a children's home that we oversee as well. Uh, We still evangelize. We have access to the hospitals, which is great. We can go in and pray for the children. and. Help a lot of people there as well, um, but I know that the crisis has slowly got worse. Um, for some, probably political reason, in more recent times over this past couple of months, we see more and more and more about Venezuela and what is going on in Venezuela. Uh, I know that Venezuelan people are good people, that they're hardworking people, that they want the opportunity to work. They want jobs. They want to be provide. They want to provide for their families, just the same as anybody in our respective parts of the world. They don't want to be there for handouts. Um, as Javier said, it's, it's heartbreaking because we have probably about three hundred children that we support, and we have been ministering into Venezuela for for quite a number of years. And uh, a lot of them children that were children have grown up now, and they've had their own children. And tragically, they have to leave. Can you imagine? You have to leave your own nation to go somewhere else where they don't even want you to be. If you can imagine, you know, to take, 
four to five million people out of your own nation and to spread them to neighboring Colombia, Brazil, to Panama, to Ecuador, to Peru, and to Chile, and into Argentina. You know, some do make it to the United States, some do make it to Canada or to Europe. But I'll give you one example. There's, I guess, one of the families that, you know, we had pastored and we had helped for, for, for a good number of years in one of the slums. She had two of her own children. She's got two young kids, I guess, four years old and seven years old. But she had to leave them children with the grandmother to go to Peru. So she's there and, you know, within a short period of time, we're getting information that any of the little money that she did have to go to Peru, that is gone. She had to sell her clothes, you know, she had to sell her coat. She only had one pair of sandals. It was winter in, in, in Lima in Peru and she was cold. She was starving. And obviously, as Christians, we know the difference between right and wrong. But here's a 23, 24-year-old girl who is being forced into a very, very difficult situation. And she calls us and she says, would it really be that wrong of me to sell my body to get money? Do you understand that this is the tragedy of, 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 of how well things could have worked out for them in Venezuela, maybe if politically things were different? Here we have a person that we love, somebody that knows the Lord, in such a dire situation. And she said, everywhere I go, I'm trying to sell bread. I'm trying to sell lollipops. I'm trying to sell whatever I can. And she's thinking, maybe the only option I have, because believe me, there are dogs and there are wolves out in them streets, believe me. And she says, every day, five or six men will approach me and say, hey, do you want to earn some real money? And offering prostitution. So we, we, we know that you, you cross into Colombia, into Cucuta, which is the border, one of the main border cities into Colombia. Mm. And there's a lot of girls and boys that are just having to sell themselves, men and women that have to sell themselves. Sorry, do you understand just to make ends meet? And I have to tell the truth in all things. I mean, the amount of exploitation for these people were, they're given a job, they're given a very, very, very basic salary. They're employed for a month or a month and a half with no recompense, with no money, and then just cast out in the street, they're sacked. And then they'll just take on another Venezuelan. So I think, you know, that side of it is very, very hard to, to chew on. I know doctors that have left, I mean, thousands and thousands of doctors, mm -hmm. Venezuelan doctors have left. A lot of the Cuban doctors have actually gone back to Cuba as well. But a lot of doctors, a lot of professionals are washing dishes in Bogota, in Colombia, or in New York. Do you understand? This is just where the people don't want to be. Um, uh, you had mentioned earlier just about the, the spiritual side of, of, of Venezuela. The beautiful thing about Venezuela is everybody believes in God, <laughs> maybe in, in, in different forms, <laughs> different but uh, there's not so many atheists in that part of the world. But uh, uh, just to give you some idea of numbers, uh, probably 25, 30 years ago, you might not have had 2% Christian yeah. in the nation. And I would imagine um, there had been increase, maybe up to 15 or 18%. In recent years, but from what I'm understanding, by the way, we've worked as a ministry with about 30 different churches in Barakizi Meadow in the city uh, with the different projects that we've worked in. We've got constant contact with a lot of the pastors as well. And um, I think like any crisis, it encourages people and motivates people to uh, a place of, of, of religious focus. Uh, so, yeah, in context, 
a lot of people have come to the Lord, or let's just say a lot of people, a lot more people are attending their places of, of worship because of this particular crisis. And everybody uses that language of God bless you, or, you know, may God keep you and guide you. And they use a lot of that language religiously in Venezuela. Mm. But I believe so more than ever that they're starting to understand that there is a, a provider, there's a supernatural provider, there is a God, the Jehovah Jireh, that can really, really help into this situation. And yes, I would imagine it, it encourages a lot more prayer meetings and a lot of the churches to come together. It has actually encouraged unity within the body of Christ uh, as well. Yeah, um, yeah, it has been good for, for the church in general. Um, you know, the growth has been quite notable. And uh, you have seen, like, for example, uh, in my city, there's a lot of people that I know that uh, were maybe non-religious, no atheists, as Nigel said. Everybody believes in God over there in their own way. But uh, there's so many people have come to the faith. And uh, I suppose it's part of it is because of the situation as well. And they have seen that, you know, we're in the hands of God. <laughs> there's no other, there's no other way. But on the other hand, I've uh, contact with some uh, pastors and in the uh, west part of the country. He, uh, have been struggling. Some churches have been struggling and and they have been, uh, even pastors have uh, left their, their churches to go to another countries. So that, had a, that has affected the, the congregations sometimes as well. And so it, it's, it's happening as well. Pastors have had to, to leave the country because they don't know how to, People are desperate as well. So on one hand, the church is growing, but on the other hand, the people who were already in the church, they, they don't find any other way. They, they just say, we, we cannot uh, take this anymore. We have to leave, including pastors. So um, it's something that is worrying in a way, like uh, because um, imagine a pastor leaving a congregation that really affect the, the people going there like, because they are left alone. and have to go to another place and yes yeah, it's, it's really sad so but suppose there's positive and negatives as well in the whole situation regarding the the church but um yeah and the church i think is doing what it can with the yeah. resources that it mm -hmm. has um it is very unfortunate that i guess depending on what numbers you want to use but to have a a, a monthly income of, of seven or eight pounds you know, when you've got a family of four or five to feed, I mean, yeah, absolutely, you become more dependent on God. Um, I think that um, many of the the churches themselves, I think, I think the benefit, I think, with so many people leaving the nation, obviously, that, that, that that's a tragedy. I'm just speaking to somebody last night to tell me that, that, that there are no young people in Venezuela, that all of these young people have just left to get work somewhere else which in itself is, is a tragedy. But the other side of the coin is that them same young people that are out, even if they're earning $200 a month, are able to, to send money back to Venezuela. So like most nations, you can find some things on the black market so they can find some pasta, they can find some sugar, they can find 
some of the, the the basic needs to keep their families maintained. So I guess that will be the the positive side of of the people having to leave the nation. I think the hope is that um, <clears throat> that there will be a, a solution found soon. But I think if you're sitting on top of the largest oil reserve in the world and there's not really anybody going to budge you from that anytime soon. Um, and again, it's not to get political, but the government does control 99% of the media. Uh, they control the the military. They have arms. They have all of them things. Mm-hmm. So I know there have been different attempts. I mean, I've been in Venezuela where literally they're just shooting at each other. I mean, well, not really shooting at each other. The, the, the National Guard or the police are shooting at the protesters. And generally, they're... I guess students. I mean, you see that all over the world at different times. I grew up in a troubled Northern Ireland back in the 1980s and and saw how young people on both sides wanted to defend their turf or to change their world or to, to stand up for their rights. And that same spirit, believe me, is alive and well in them young people. I've seen young people with bullet holes in them from the day before or the week before, whenever they were just indiscriminately shot at by the the police for, for protesting um, on the streets. That is the unfortunate thing, and it's, 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 it's not an opinion. It, the government do look after the military and are able to maintain that protection. Uh, they don't have their free and fair elections, unfortunately, and uh, I think that's what, what we want to see just for, I guess, the government to, 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 to resign and to open for fair and free elections and to see a change in Venezuela. God has blessed Venezuela with beautiful people, with a beautiful nation, with Angel Falls. They've got 1,200 kilometers of coastline. They've got some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. I mean, you name it, they've got it. You know, it really is an incredible place. And it's just tragic to see such beauty uh, having to suffer so much at this time. Um, ultimately, as we've seen probably throughout the centuries, that we believe that maybe the next political party coming in is going to change a lot of things. But I'm just talking about Venezuela's history in regards to dictatorships. I mean, from the from the 1940s, 30s. As soon as they found out they had a lot of oil, a lot of things changed. But they've had dictator after dictator. And personally, I don't know if the next man coming in is really going to make any difference because whenever Chavez came to power in 1999, he promised and he told the people, I will hang the corrupt. I will rid this nation of corruption. And yeah, that's not what happened, unfortunately. But um, I believe more that uh, it's only the power of God and the extension of his kingdom in that land will really make the difference that will really change the hearts and minds of the people to take them away from this idea that the next person coming into power is going to be the answer to their problems. Uh, we, we, we know that, you know, with, with this spiritual problem of corruption and murder, by the way, we have one of the highest murder rates in the world in Venezuela. I mean, I remember seeing statistics about seven or eight years ago, seven or eight years ago, that it was three times safer in Baghdad during the war than it was in Caracas on the main street of the capital. So we have a lot of spiritual problems that need to be changed 
yeah. in Venezuela and we know that it's not going to come through a political party or a political program or agenda or, or mandate. So I, I guess even in regards to our community here or anybody listening to our podcast today is that we need to pray for God's will to be done, for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done for Venezuela and for the people themselves to realize that this is the solution for your nation is whenever we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it's just to see his order established in that land. God has a plan. There is hope for Venezuela. There's a future for them people. And uh, it's only going to come through what he so desires. Because I know that as a father, as a heavenly father, that it breaks his heart to see what is happening with that land at this time. Uh, as maybe I mentioned before, one of the richest nations in Latin America, you know, maybe one of the richest nations in, in the world with the wealth that they have between their gold and minerals and, and uh, natural resources as well as the, the beauty of his people. change in the spiritual realm in, in Venezuela because you know as you um if you go to Venezuela you can see the also the increase of uh, some witchcraft as well yeah. I, I, I firmly believe that, that that has affected the country and in, 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 in the spiritual realm you know but also sometimes you wonder why is it for people who are listening to the podcast or people who have never been there they will wonder how is it that this guy still have some people supporting him so there's two things like, well, or even more I would say, but the, the, the two main things that I can see is, one, most of the people uh, who uh, support the government um, are people who maybe are not really highly educated and they were very easily to manipulate and to, you know, be won through the social programs. And, uh, you know, like... It's, it's some sort of fanatism as well, and it's understandable. Your man Chavez, he was a very charismatic guy, and he he actually was able to manipulate masses, you know. And he was good in that regard. You, you cannot deny it. So that's that part. But I think that the other part is that there's some people who still support the government. You would think that they were still supporting the government, but uh, there are people who are maybe working for the government, like give you an example, I have a niece and a cousin, he, they work for um, uh, companies who are run by the government, but uh, that doesn't mean that they support the government but they just need a job and they need it to, to work so uh, whenever you see if you ever seen in the, in, the, in the news like people supporting the government you see this they have their, their people. Uh, loads of people, they, they would be there forced. Like, for example, my niece, she would say, oh, I need to go to this meeting because otherwise I lose my job. So there are so many people who are in that position now that they, they have to be in the meetings to support the government because otherwise they, they, they risk lose their, their employment and they will be in worse situations. So it, it is really sad. But yeah, as Nigel said, definitely, 
you know, God is the, the, the ultimate solution for, for our country. And uh, I think that the church has a, a big part to play in, in, in this, you know, to, and one of the things that I, I, I feel proud about my people is that they, you can see them still, regardless of the situation and the, the crisis and, you know, and, and the, the people dying, the starvation, children dying, everything, all the, the whole chaos, people still have the willingness to go to the streets and protest and to, you know, to let their voice be heard. So it is, it is a, a, a good thing to see, you know, and you can see that in the people, there's still that hope that the things will, will change. But uh, us as Christians, we, we believe that God has the control in our nation and he loves our nation and he will, he will, will open up the, the doors of, of yep. opportunities and solution to what's going on. So that's our hope as, as Christians. Yeah, we believe in the, 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 the plans that he has, but I, th I think as we read in Chronicles 7.14, the idea of his own people, you know, we need to hear what the Lord is saying, we need to humble ourselves, we need to seek his face, but there's a lot of things that we have to do, and uh, I think ultimately that it is his will. He doesn't want the divided Venezuela. He doesn't want a divided Northern Ireland, you know. Mm. He doesn't want division. He, he doesn't promote that spirit of division. So, mm. you know, to see unity. I know even where we are from, I became a Christian. I came from a Protestant loyalist background. And I have a lot of Christian friends now that, you know, come from a very, very different place, from a Catholic Republican background. But we found this neutrality and we found this way of moving forward in Christ and leaving a lot of the old things behind. Um, it's a similar thing maybe in Venezuela. It's yeah. polarised. Very know, between, polarized. You know, even as I said to you, the colour of my red jacket, I probably wouldn't wear in Venezuela because that would symbolise one side of the political divide. Much, uh, yeah. The hope is that uh, by his spirit, he'll move through the body of Christ and, and unite and heal that land. That's, that, 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 that is the hope. And mm. uh, as I say, as well as that, uh, to bring families back together again. I know in context of our culture that, you know, it's probably okay for you to, to study and you're gone from home whenever you're 18 years old and then you might move to London or somewhere else and work for 25 years. But I know the Venezuelans are very, very close. They're very, very relational. And they don't necessarily like to be apart. They're family-orientated. They're, they're a, a, a warm climate culture, as we speak about in missions. And mm -hmm. uh, it's very, very difficult, extremely difficult for them to be apart. And uh, as I say, even more devastating that you, you take what little you have to pay for a bus ticket to send somebody to Panama or Peru or somewhere. And then that person can't make it. Do you understand how difficult that is? That no, nobody's any better off, really. Sometimes people do make it and can get a good job. And as I said, they are sending money back home to help support things uh, mm -hmm. in Venezuela. But uh, it, it, it's not an ideal situation for, for anybody. Um, I guess I'm not really going to be here to plug drop in ministries, but I have to say that uh, as a ministry, I thank God that, you know, they have been faithful over this past uh, 13 years in putting in a lot of resources, uh, I guess, to, through things that are donated in the charity shops or what uh, donations are given uh, online for the work that we're doing in that part of the world. We do have a team on the ground. Uh, Every day there's more and more requests, every day there's more and more pressure. Uh, 
I have a lot of contact with a lot of people there and I get requests every day and I just I just can't I can't meet them all we can't meet them all but I know that uh, <clears throat> as more and more people get uh, oh, more aware of what's going on in Venezuela and not just Christian people but a lot of people are thinking how can we help into that uh, particular uh, situation as I say just uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud in, in a good way that a little uh, charity from, from Northern Ireland cares so much about these people that are 5,000 miles away you know on the north coast of, of South America that they care enough to be able to send some of their uh, resources to that part of the world and uh, the hope is that that can continue the hope is that that can increase as uh, as this crisis uh, continues yeah. one of the things that you may may wonder how can we help as church here in Nogana primarily I would say prayer prayer for the leadership in of the <clears throat> church in Venezuela because as I said pastors have been living but also the ones who are staying uh, they are seeing people, the young people living, and even some adults as well living, and churches have uh, have been affected by that. So, uh, yeah, there's, they're under a, a very strange pressure uh, to see what's going on in the country, to see what's going on uh, in their congregations, and to see how people's faith has been affected in, in a negative way and in a positive way as well, I have to say. But, uh, yeah, pray for the leadership in, in Venezuela, that they, they can, you know, keep strong, keep believing that God is in control of all things, that uh, good things are, are to come. We had um, just one example. There was a, a young girl at the end of last year. Um, I knew that she was pregnant with her third child. And um, I think in any, I guess, first world culture, you know, there there is a procedure of going to the doctor and getting different tests and exams done during your pregnancy. But she had been like five or six months pregnant and hadn't even initially seen or had her first doctor's visit. And she sent a message to say that she was worried because she had a problem in her stomach and she didn't have the, the six pound for the doctor's appointment. Uh, we could help on that occasion when she went to the doctor and she lost the child, unfortunately. But it, it, it's that kind of thing that, you know, it's just the people are, 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 are suffering so much and there's just the, the everyday things that we take for granted in context of health or food. Uh, Javier mentioned earlier on just about going to the supermarket. By the way, you go to the supermarket and there's nothing on the shelves, okay? Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing on the shelves. If you can find stuff, you're very, very lucky. As I mentioned earlier, again, you can get some stuff on the black market, but medicines... If you've got a friend in the USA or that part of the world that can ship them to you, you know, or to, to send you the medicines, that's another way that people that's can get medicines way, into yeah. the country. But simple things, even for blood tests or for very, very simple conditions, you know, people are, are dying, literally dying, because yeah. they can't get the, the, the very, very basic medicines uh, that uh, that they need. As I say, we, we can't cover all of the needs of the people, but just that... Uh, God will continue to pour out his mercy and grace upon the, the, them people and uh, to help in different ways that the resources would come to keep food in their stomachs. Uh, literally, whenever you see people eating out of trash cans, you know, exactly. whenever, you know, the, 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 the restaurant or the, the shopping centre, you know, whenever they're putting their rubbish out at night, there's hundreds of people that are standing there waiting for the rubbish to come out so they can maybe get some chicken bones 
or some chicken skin or just something to put into uh, their stomachs. Yeah, um, just uh, for example, uh, another example um, of how critical the situation in the health field is in Venezuela is um, my brother uh, had to go and get a surgery and he had to buy gloves, his own uh, scalp, gauze, everything that he, it was needed for the surgery. He had to borrow them himself because nothing in the hospital. So you can see how difficult it is for people, you know, struggling for power. There was one thing that, that I just would like to sort of touch on, and that, that, that is the fear of how quickly a difficult situation or a really bad situation can turn into civil war. Um, this is a problem at the moment. I mean, politically, there's a lot of things going on between. I guess, North America and different nations, there's political pressure. But how that actually plays out on the ground is a very, very different thing. Uh, there is, I think, some kind of encouragement that the military would step away from protecting the government that's in place at the moment. And I think the fear is, and I hear, I hear this as well, that if you get half of the military or a faction of the military that splits, that you're going to get to sides that are armed mm -hmm. and that could lead to something very very bad i did a watched a movie uh, on dick cheney last last week uh uh vice very very interesting but you know as i'm watching that i i i'm watching the the, the movie and I'm, I'm filtering that through how i see things in venezuela and i think to myself you know in that iraq conflict there were six hundred thousand civilians that had lost their lives and that would be that would be just devastating, devastating, absolutely devastating for that nation if it did come to civil war. And that would be the kind of civil war that wouldn't have a very, very quick end, I would imagine. So just if there was one prayer, it would be that uh, that would be averted in some way, that that would never, ever come to pass, that they could find some kind of uh, political slash spiritual problem to this uh this 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 great problem in Venezuela. For anybody interested uh, in contacting us, do that uh, via Twitter at ordinary gcc. You can email us at ordinarypeople at grace-community.church. You can leave a voice message via the Anchor app and uh, you can visit the website at ordinarypodcast.com.